Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis who the Bible says Melchizedek, king of Salem, is and what happened when he visited Abraham and the king of Sodom. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org and on iTunes. We want to thank you for your listenership and support of the Friendship with God radio program this past year. Uh, We could not continue this radio program on the air without your listenership as well as your financial support, so we do appreciate that. We would like to encourage you to make a year-end contribution and donation to this ministry. And again, and as we say all the time, your contribution not only keeps this radio program on the air, this Bible teaching program, but it also supports or has a matching donation support to Israel Restoration Ministries, which gets the gospel out to the Jewish people as well as Gentiles, millions of lost Jewish people and Gentiles a year with the gospel. So we'd like to encourage you to give your donation. It's 100% tax deductible. You can make your donation by calling us at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. You can call us now or after the program. You can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Just click on the Donate button. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching on Melchizedek from the book of Genesis. He's not an ordinary priest of privilege where with servants waiting on him where all his needs are just provided for him. Those ordinary priests cannot be touched with what we as, what, what real people go through. Ordinary priests are high and separated and isolated from the mundane troubles of life. They never hit their thumbs with a hammer, see? (laughs) They never use a hammer. Others use the hammers. But we don't have an ordinary high priest who's separated from what we go through and separated from what we feel. We have a very special high priest which not only can but was Touched with the feeling, that word, of our infirmities, that word. And was at all points tempted, that word, as we are yet without sin. See, the Greek word for feeling in that verse is where we get the word sympathy. Sympathy, which means to feel with. He feels with us because he felt like us. The Greek word, therefore, infirmities, is where it means if frailties or weaknesses. He was subject to the same frailties and weaknesses. The word, Greek word for tempted means enticed or lured or tried. So what Hebrews 4.15 is telling us is that we have a very, very unusual priest because, number one, he is a special high priest to us because he had the same frailties and weaknesses that you and I have. Number two, he's a special high priest for us because in his weakness, he felt the same lure of temptation as a man would see the finger of the adulteress motioning him to come, to come. And he feels the pull of the enticer offering him to indulge in sexual sins. But, and he felt that too. But he stood his ground and said, no. And after 40 years of being in this weakened condition of starving, he felt that inward lure to do anything, even disobey God, to get loaves of bread. But in his weakened state, he stood his ground and he said no. 
And that's what made him so special. Because he was in every area, in every point, like as we are, from the same positions of weakness and frailty that we have. But every time he stood his ground and he said, no, that makes him very special. Very special to us. Because he not only knows what he goes through, he has gone what, through what we go through. So our great high priest says, I know what you are going through I remember when I went through the same thing that you're suffering under now. So that means that we have a new dimension to our prayers when we pray to him because that kind of special high priest is the one that we can say two words to as we pray. And those two words are, you know. You know. Lord Jesus, you know what I am going through right now, because you were tempted in the same way, in the same area also. Lord Jesus, you know how I need your help because because you needed help in exactly the same area also. And that energizes us to pray in a special way, as it says in the next verse in Hebrews 4.16. It says, therefore, has the word therefore, it's tying it in. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Being able to say those two words in prayer, you know, because he experienced all the temptations that we did, gives a new characteristic to our prayers, and that characteristic is coming boldly. Coming boldly. That special boldness is based on the fact that he knows personally that what we have gone through And it makes us have a certain confidence that we can obtain what we need, that we can obtain mercy and grace to help in the time of our need. But going back to Matthew here, we are in Matthew in verse 2 and 3. Those are very important words when it says, He was afterward a hunger, the tempter came to him. So the sequence went like this. He was exalted after his baptism, number one. Number two, he, he was starved after 40 days of no food. Number three, in his weakened state, the devil came to him with a devilish proposal. Now, the sequence for Abraham was, number one, he was exalted after his success of his conquest and his his mission to rescue. Number two, he was exhausted after weeks of running back to Syria, running up to Syria and back. And number three, in his weakened state, the king of Sodom came to him with a devilish proposal. Just like the Lord Jesus, the tempter, tempter came to us, that if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And that shows us the importance, I'll turn back now to Genesis. In Genesis 14, 17, the king of Sodom went out to meet him. Before the king of Sodom speaks, so that's what happens in verse 17. Now we come to verse 18. Before the king of Sodom speaks, we have another person who comes out also to meet Abraham in verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem. See the contrast? And the king of Sodom. Now, the king of Salem brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the most high God. So now, God is looking at his servant Abraham. And he sees that Abraham has arrived in the valley of the king of Sodom, right into the spider's web, and the spider... The king of Sodom now is going out for the kill. And God sees all this and he says, quick, send another king to Abraham and strength to strengthen Abraham and 
So he let him fall by accepting this devilish proposal from the king. So all of a sudden, we have before us now, the, the before us, this king of Salem, Melchizedek, king of Salem, and he comes in, verse 17, before the king of Sodom even speaks, he comes in. And our first question is, and I know everybody asks this question, who is this Melchizedek, king of Salem? Uh, he, just, he just appears out of nowhere. And the book of Hebrews makes a big deal of how mysterious his entrance is. It says in Hebrews 7, 1 through 3, that he, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, he met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, blessed him, to whom Abraham gave a part, so forth. And then it says, he is without father, he is without mother, he is without descent, neither having beginning of days, nor end of days, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the king priest forever. So the pattern we are used to, as we've been studying in the book of Genesis, has been to introduce a person by telling us who his father was, and sometimes who his mother was, and so-and-so was the son of so-and-so, who was the son of so-and-so, and his mother was so-and-so, and he lived so many years, and maybe he was born when his father was so-and-so years old, etc. But now, not Melchizedek, not Melchizedek. All of a sudden, in verse 18, Melchizedek just appears on the pages of Genesis, and we don't know who his father is, and we don't know who his mother is, or was, and we don't know when he was born, and we don't know when he died. He just appears, and there's a lot of questions, and there's a lot of speculation as to who Melchizedek is. Some say he's the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, and you may not be sure this morning and wondering, who is he? So I'll tell you who he is. I don't know. <laughs> but for the purposes that we're going to see him in this morning, it doesn't matter all those things to his mother's father. Because we're looking at Melchizedek for what it says about him in Genesis, where we are. Not for what it does not say about him. We have enough trouble reading the lines of the Bible, which are clearly there, without trying to read between the lines of the Bible. There's enough for us trying to just to read the lines without trying to read between the lines. So the first thing we see is that right after this verse 17, where the king of Sodom goes out to meet Abraham... And before the king of Sodom speaks to Abraham, Melchizedek comes out to meet Abraham. That's precious. That's precious because it shows that God is monitoring very closely what's happening to Abraham. And he sees when Abraham needs this little boost of encouragement. So he sends Melchizedek. It's very encouraging for us because verse 18 the coming of Melchizedek, shows that God is monitoring our lives. He's watching our lives very closely. And the Lord Jesus Christ knows personally what we are going through. And he sees when we, like Abraham, we just need a little boost of encouragement. And he sends us a little of Melchizedek. And when we're really in a low state, or about to face a new trial that we don't even know about, and we need that encouragement booster, God says, He's, he prompts another Christian to call us, on the, go visit us, call us on the phone, and have a little talk that encourages us. What's that? That's God sending us a Melchizedek. And we really appreciate the Melchizedeks in our lives. They are such an encouragement to us. God bless the Melchizedeks that God sends. And God wants us to be a Melchizedek in someone's life. He wants us to be sensitive, like Melchizedek was, to God prodding us. Go be a Melchizedek 
and give that person a call, encourage them. Go visit that person just to encourage them. And you know who, who the people are that really, really need a Melchizedek visit? People in the hospital. People in the hospital. They really need a Melchizedek. They need a Melchizedek visit. As this nurse was reported recently, a believer in a hospital. And what he does is he goes around and he looks into the eyes of his patients and he sings songs. Now, for some of us, that may not be encouraging. <laughs> but for him, it's encouraging. <laughs> he sings songs. He sings songs like Smile and so forth. And then he sings you know, songs like Amazing Grace. And he sings for How Great Thou Art. And the patients love him so much, they request him by name. Maybe they request him by song, too. I don't know. But <laughs> what is that nurse doing as he, sing, as he is singing to the patients? That nurse is being a little Melchizedek for his patients. And, and now, at Grossmont Sharp Hospital, you know where I work, and at all the Sharp Hospitals, we have a program called the 11th Hour Program, where you can sign up. Anybody can sign up, and if there's a patient who's dying, and there's no one with that patient, the hospital will call you, and you go there, and you can be a little Melchizedek, encouraging that person as they leave this earth. You know, I remember when Mike Hainer was at the hospital in Tijuana, and there was no one with him. And it looked like he was going to leave the earth, and he did. And I couldn't get down there. His family couldn't get down there because they didn't have passports. So Diana Huerta, or Diana Huerta and Ticati was calling people to go to Tijuana to be with him. And Diana's 19-year-old daughter, Bebe, a medical student in Mexicali, heard her mother calling and when she was in the office, and Bebe said to her mother, Mother, I will go. I will go. And so she all alone, Bebe went, and she's several hours, she sat in Mike's room, and we said, we said, Bebe, what did you do? She said, I held his hand, I read him scriptures, I prayed for him, and I sang hymns to him. Oh, that's nice. She was a Melchizedek during that time as he passed from this life on to the next one. So, from this passage, we can learn how we can be a little Melchizedek. First, we see his title. He was in verse 18, Genesis 14, 18. Melchizedek, king of Salem. He was the king of Salem. He was the king of Shalom. He was the king of peace. Melchizedek was all about peace. Abraham's first encounter was with the opposite. He was, that was with the king of Sodom. And to meet the king of Sodom was very disturbing. And the king of Sodom epitomized no peace. Why? Because he epitomized wickedness. And the king of Sodom is described in Isaiah 57, 20 through 21, where it says, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot, doesn't have the ability, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. So the king of Sodom is wicked, and he was like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. And just for Abraham to be around this person, the king of Sodom, was disturbing. It was disturbing for anyone, disturbing for Abraham. So when Melchizedek comes as the king of peace, it was such a relief to Abraham because he brought peace. He felt, and Abraham felt peace. And if we want to be little Melchizedeks, then we need to be kings of peace. We need to be all about peace. A little king of peace has, first of all, peace with God and helps others to have peace with God. As it says in Romans 5, 1, 
Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that we have peace with God because we have come and received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, as our peace. He is our peace. And that means that God justified us by faith, and the Lord Jesus Christ then gives us a wonderful gift. He says, here, and he gives us the peace of God. As Aaron was taught in the great ironic blessing that he was to bless the Jewish people with in Numbers 6.26, and among many things that he said, he said, the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Tom, you taught us today that Melchizedek was all about peace, yet the king of Sodom was wicked and he was like a troubled sea when it cannot rest. The king of Sodom reminds me of Pilate who couldn't rest, asking Jesus, what is truth? Now, why did Pilate ask that? You know, that scene, as we've just seen it there, is absolutely, it's dramatic, it shakes you. Because when you think about it, there's the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, the Lamb of God, and he's right in front of Pilate, suffering In essence, this is part of the process of the Lamb of God being offered. And he's there, he's ripped apart, he's bleeding, he's standing in front of Pilate. And what he is really showing Pilate there is that this is the truth of the Lord dying for our sins. When it says in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, that's the truth. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement or the punishment of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. That scene, the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ, is for us the most important truth. Why? Because of Psalm 85.10, we so desperately need mercy, and yet truth is that we deserve judgment. But Psalm 85.10 says mercy and truth are met together, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And what Pilate was looking at in front of him was the Lord Jesus Christ, the embodiment of mercy, the embodiment of truth, and in him the mercy of God and the truth of God meet together. In him the righteousness of God, which demands judgment, and the peace of God have kissed each other in him. And Pilate was seeing all that because the fact is, is that the greatest obstacle that we have, that any person has, is to be able to spend eternity with God in heaven. Man's sins is the greatest obstacle that man has to be able to spend eternity with God in heaven. It's the sin of man. Why? Because, for example, just when the, the, the one commandment of not taking the Lord's name in vain, in Deuteronomy 5.11, it says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Why? For the The Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Let's be honest. Who has not taken the name of God in vain, either in actual saying it or thinking it? So we're all guilty of this. And the Lord says, we will not escape judgment. He will not hold us guiltless that takes his name in vain. 
It's something that we have done. It's a sin. We will pay for it. In Revelation 20.12, it says that when John saw the dead, the small and great, stand before God, he says the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So in other words, every time anyone takes the name of the Lord in vain, it's written down. It's written down in what are called the books. And those books are opened at the final judgment when God does not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain and every other sin. And so God will judge sins. And therefore, all sinners will not spend eternity with God in heaven unless they have the only way that God has prescribed to remove that obstacle, to remove the sins that are standing in the way of each person going to heaven, and that's by the suffering of the Lord. That's why that great truth that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins, standing in front of Pilate, was bearing witness of the truth, even though the Lord was not even speaking, the Pilate could see this great truth. What truth? The truth that God has given, as it says in Leviticus 17.11. He says, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your sins. For it's the blood that maketh an atonement for the sins. And so what Pilate saw as he was watching the Lord Jesus Christ is he saw the gift of God, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He saw the gift of God, which is eternal life, through our Lord Jesus Christ. When he looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, he saw the the son that was given. He saw the great gift of God. And the great gift of God was God the Son be made flesh having the life of his flesh in him, having the blood which speaks of the pure sinless life, the only one who was pure and sinless, the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lord, he was watching the blood of the Lord shed. And as he was standing there in front of Pilate, and small pools of blood were collecting, which were dripping from his body, what Pilate was seeing was the great truth of Leviticus 17.11. He was seeing that the gift of God was the sacrifice, the only sacrifice that can take away sins, which is the suffering and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was watching that right in front of him. He was seeing God give an atonement for Pilate's soul, for every soul, as he was watching the suffering of the Lord. That's the great, great truth. And so because of that truth, that was why the Lord Jesus Christ said that he came to bear witness of the truth, in other words, to speak the truth. So he spoke the truth, but he also communicated the truth by his very suffering form there in front of Pilate. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, as we're coming to the year end, we've got an incredible offer for you to encourage you to give towards Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries. Now, Tom Cantor has written a powerful book that details 194 prophecies and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this book shows the scriptures comparatively from the Old Testament to the New Testament fulfillment. It's got over 80 pages of wonderful scriptures showing the Old Testament with the New Testament 
It's an amazing study, and it also shows that Jesus Christ was not just a historic figure, but the fulfillment of God's foretold plan to bring salvation to the Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, for your support of $20 or more, we're going to send you this book. We have a matching donation that will support towards Israel Restoration Ministries. So what does that mean? That means with your $20 donation, we'll go ahead and match that with another $20 that will go towards Jewish evangelism and the gospel going out to the Jew first, and we'll also reach Gentiles as well, too. We want you to call us right now and order this book for a donation of $20 or more at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Once again, that's 1-800-247-3051. If you want to donate online, you can do so at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. But again, for a donation of $20 or more, we'll send you Tom Cantor's powerful book, The 194 Prophecies and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's approximately about 2,500 prophecies that appear in the pages of the Bible, 2,000 of which have already been fulfilled to the letter, and 500 are remaining for the future, and everything else has been fulfilled. Many of the prophecies were written hundreds of years apart by different men at different times, preserved by God in Scripture, and prophecies that have been fulfilled in the Bible have a 100% accuracy. So it is a statistical improbability that the Bible predicts anybody else other than the Lord Jesus Christ being the Messiah and being the Savior of the world and being God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. This is a great gift at Christmas time. We want you to order this book for a donation of $20 or more. So call us today at 1-800-247-3051. one 800 247 or go to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening and join us tomorrow.